Well, hello and welcome to this, which is our 12th and final uh, webinar of 2016 and in our Smart Building series. Uh, this today is an excellent talk about uh, real IP to the edge in uh, building management systems. And I'm very pleased to have with me a guy called Tony Marshall Say, who is CMO, uh, C yeah, CME or CMO? I'm not sure which one. What do you say? CME, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah, CME. <laughs> of Omrania. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll let Tony introduce himself in a minute. Uh, just remains for me to say uh, what we're doing this uh, this month is a little bit different. We, we've got uh, some slides to go through, of course, but we've also got a handout, uh, which will be useful later on. So everyone listening in, if you want to download that, you, you can. Uh, also, of course, the, um, we want to, uh, questions, we want some input from you guys. So please type in the questions. Uh, I'll get them here. What we'll probably do is save them to after the presentation. And then we're going to uh, obviously have, uh, have a Q&A uh, and discuss what Tony has, uh, has presented. Uh, and also just remains me to say a big thank you to Tridium who, who sponsored our uh, webinar series this, this, uh, this year as well. Uh, if you want more information on Tridium and their Niagara product, then uh, please go to uh, tridium.com. So, uh, yeah, say welcome, Tony. And obviously, thanks for agreeing to, uh, to do this, this webinar this, this month. Okay. So if we uh, First, go ahead with the presentation, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Uh, welcome, everybody, wherever you are. And my friends range from Middle East to uh, West Coast USA, so that's a 12-hour time difference. So some of you, it's good morning, and some of you, it's good evening. Uh, first, I'm grateful that Jelaine's listened to my explanation of what he has called real IP to the edge, and I thank him for that catchphrase. And he was then convinced enough for Memori to offer me this opportunity to put my concerns about the IoT before a wider audience. I hope that by the end of this webinar, you'll be convinced too. And secondly, it won't be a normal technical webinar because although I've been involved with building automation systems for more years than I care to remember, I'm not in a controls business. And you may have already noticed that I'm, I'm reading from a script. It's because I am, because I have a terrible reputation for digression when I'm speaking off the cuff. So, I've been following developments in the field of BAS for, and some time ago I came to the conclusion that the IoT is like climate change. It's obvious that if we stick to business as usual, it's going to end up in a mess. But dealing with it properly is likely to be expensive and painful. In the last few years, the IoT has been hit hyped to infinity and beyond. It should be flying as fast as a Eurofighter or Raptor, but it's starting to look more like the Spruce Goose, and the general public is beginning to ask why it hasn't taken off yet. There's a reason for that. I call it slush puddles on the runway. That's what this webinar will explain. And it will also show how real IP to the edge could get rid of most, hopefully enough of them. So let's start. But first, if you haven't done so already, please take a few seconds to download the accompanying handout, as James said, and preferably print it out. 
And there's a spoiler alert. Don't read past the pretty picture on page three. General Dwight D. Eisenhower used to say, give it to me on one page. I've followed that for the handout, so you won't have to flip pages to follow my description of the journey. But you may need to use the magnifier app on your smartphone because the text is small. The slide you're seeing at the moment, what I hope you'll learn, uh, well, I failed my GCE history O level and laughed about it. But over the years, I've realized that learning about the past is key to understanding the present and deciding what to do in the future to avoid the mistakes of the past. It's no different for BAS and the IOT. So we're going to start off with a little history. Can you go to the next slide, please, James? Sure. There we go. And slide four. Oh, that's it. Okay, mechanical controls have been around for thousands of years, and one of the most famous ones is something called the Antikythera mechanism, which is about three and a half thousand years old, and nobody can understand how it managed to be that complicated and that old. Electromechanical thermostats have been with us since the end of the 19th century, but they were expensive, so they were only affordable for factories and big buildings. Also, they were fitted to individual devices, and they weren't licked up. The silicon chip changed all that. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak weren't the only people making electronic devices in their garage. Technicians in the controls business were doing it too. So, just as IBM didn't realize that their open source PC, which was intended to be its response to the upstart Apple, would take off and pull the rug out from under the feet of most of its mainframe business, the control big boys were almost, but not quite, caught napping by a horde of electronic control startups. And all those startups were hungry for business, so they built their own gear, which was designed to satisfy their customers' particular requirements. Can you click again, please, James? Sure. Okay. By the end of the 1980s, BAS Field was awash with control suppliers of all sizes. I, th I think there was well over 100. And each had its own hardware, software, data protocols, and bus systems. And they were all very proprietary and using this individuality to lock each other out of big projects. Click again, please. All right, so eventually this mess got to be too big and there was a revolution. The original big boys assimilated the smallest and weakest ones and often gleefully grabbed popular programming languages and user interfaces, some very good ones. The middle-sized ones managed to stay independent and grow by doing the same. And some of them decided to specialize in niche markets like lighting, security, or fire alarm. And people in the industry, particularly technicians, got fed up with interfacing problems and started to push for industry standards and open data protocols. 
Click, please, James. So, what's today's business as usual? The jumble. Presently, we've got buildings that are getting bigger and taller, so control networks are growing. Equipment's getting more sophisticated, so more data is being generated. Clients, more often designers, are getting pickier and wanting better performance. And ecologists want to save energy and improve indoor environments. BAS suppliers want to have the management of all this in their own basket, but they can't because there are plenty of people with good excuses for wanting a slice of the action. Okay, click please, James. So, the result is that most building projects have to live with a jumble of BAS that looks like something out of Junkyard Challenge. It's not as bad as it might have been a decade ago due to ongoing market consolidation and the uptake of open systems, but there's still a lot of interfacing required, and the IoT won't be able to live with that. Click please, Rames. Uh-oh, gone a little bit too far. Back one. Okay, what's preventing the IoT from taking off? There's a Mr. Drucker who is credited with saying, you can't manage what you can't measure. So the rest of this presentation is going to deal with defining the problem, assessing the size of it, I'm proposing a solution, but it won't be a comprehensive solution because the IoT is just too big and has so many aspects. Can't cover it all in this webinar. Okay, now we go again. Next slide. Too much slush on your runway, James. <laughs> right. Here we go up a bit. That's it. Right. Imagine a hub airport in the BAS present with an airliner at the start of the takeoff runway. It's winter like now, and it's been snowing. It's not enough to shut down flying, but it's enough to create puddles of slush all along the runway. Pilot knows there's too much for the plane to reach takeoff speed, so he asks the airfield crew to clear them. That takes time. Meanwhile, the queue of planes is waiting to take off is getting longer. Now imagine it's the IoT future. There's a lot more planes lined up waiting to take off. So the result is hordes of delayed and angry passengers who will miss connecting flights at other hubs along their journey. So, for the IoT, we'll have to minimize the slush from the get-go. Next one, please, James. So, what is the slush? It's data processing overhead. 
you have to have it for conversion of measured analog values from sensors to digital data and it's necessary when every smart device that's connected to a data bus has to sniff every passing packet to check the delivery address and ask is it for me but it shouldn't be necessary for transferring data between different sections of a BAS network but presently it is because different sections use different data protocols so protocol translation has to happen at the interfaces next one James please okay how big is the problem it's very big show how just how big it is we're going to compare the journey of a data packet from a smart temperature sensor through a BAS network with a group of people traveling on parts of the UK and European rail network if you're on the other side of the pond look at page two of the handout for an equivalent air journey through the US and across the Atlantic and by the way there's a, also a glossary to explain all the TLAs I used to scrunch up the spreadsheets otherwise it would have gone over about three pages so next slide please Come on, wind up the clockwork. <clears throat> Are you not seeing it? It's the one that says yeah, uh, that, how the problem should be solved. There we go. Uh, how the problem should be solved, yeah. It can't be, this can't solve all the problems of the IoT. But what I'm proposing, I think, can and I aim to prove it. Okay, next slide please. Alright, you're going to see two route maps. BAS present, on this presentation you might see it labeled as BMS, the two terms roughly equivalent anyway. And the second one is IOT and IUP future. Now IUP stands for what I call Internet Universal Protocol and we'll talk about that in a little bit in a while. I'll explain the differences between the two. We won't go into detail because that's complicated and it's all spelled out in the hand, handout but I will describe it when we come to the map. Right, next slide please okay so here is the map and yes it's called BMS uh, it's called BAS in the handout but don't worry so the intention of this map is to act as an analog of a large BAS network and what is now called the cloud in such a network the most remote device is say an analog platinum or NTC temperature sensor wired to a smart expansion module which sits perhaps physically on the proprietary local bus of a field controller and talks to it using a proprietary data protocol that's the gray line at the top left that field controller is in turn with its peers connected via a different proprietary bus and data protocol to a branch controller that's the red line 
The branch controller is in its turn linked to a main controller via another, again using a different higher, a different higher level priority proprietary bus and data protocol. That's the yellow line. The temperature message from the field controller has yet to reach the building control and monitoring station that you can see that's the double dots in the middle there that's marked OWS but to get there it has to go through a couple more steps. First because the BCMS has to deal with messages from all sorts of systems, it cuts down the work of the middleware, like Niagara, it uses to do that by insisting that all messages use one or other of a very limited set of open or semi-open data protocols. So, the main controller, that's the blue dot on the right hand end of the yellow line, has to translate the message from the supplier's proprietary protocol to something like BACnet. Then it's the job of the gateway, which can con connect to the supplier's high-level bus, to wrap the BACnet message in an IP envelope, ready for transfer to the building's IP backbone, which is what the diagonal line you see in green. And that backbone will take it to the BCMS, which in this railway layout is represented as London Euston. There, the IP package must first be unwrapped to reveal the BACnet message, and that's passed then to the middleware. That's the square block, which then translates in, into its own, also proprietary, universal data protocol for display on the visual display unit of the operator workstation. And it also stores the content for record, analysis, or onward transmission to add-on software packages for billing, work order generation, and the rest. The temperature information message also has further to travel to the campus control and monitoring station, but this time it's easier. The IP envelope with its content is duplicated and sent to it over the internet. That's the diagonal line going to the right side there, with the blue line representing the channel. There at the CCMS, which is Paris, same processes occur at the BCMS. You need the same middleware and all the rest, but the post-processing will be strategic rather than track tactical. One point is important to remember. Each message has two basic divisions. There's a header, which holds the from and to addresses, and the content, which is defined by the data format and says what type it is, in this case it's a temperature value, and the digital representation of that value. At each change of protocol, these two divisions are dealt with separately, then combined to constitute the translated message. And that process is shown in the spreadsheet description, which is the first page of the, of the uh, handout. The map covers an area of UK that's familiar to me and schematically represents the railway route linking the fringe. Lionel Festiniog, one of the most remote places in the UK and equivalent to the most downstream smart device on a present BAS network, 
an expansion module for a field controller. Now looking at the upper map, imagine our group of football fans assembled at the station in Blanafestiniog, which is deep in the mountains of North Wales and served by a narrow gauge track originally laid to transport slate from the airport area's quarries to the coastal town of Portmabbot for coastal shipping for, to other parts of the UK and onwards to foreign parts. The group has a ticket for the journey to Portmabbot and they board a passenger carriage. At Portmabbot, because the Festinial Railway's narrow gauge rolling stock doesn't fit the main network standard gauge, they have to change trains. Step down to the platform, then move to another, while the group leader gets a ticket for the next leg of the journey to Shrewsbury. Then they all board a branch line rail car, but the seating arrangement isn't the same as in the Festenio carriage. At Shrewsbury it's a similar story, a new ticket and a new seating arrangement in the carriage of a mainline train. And it's the same again at Wolverhampton, but with an extra step. As well as changing to a new ticket and a new seating arrangement, there's an intercity supplement ticket. At London Euston, the terminus of the intercity line, the group leaves the train and their tickets in the passenger list are checked and copied before they transfer to London St Pancras International, the UK terminus of the Eurostar train, which will take them to Paris. And that information that was copied goes to the station master at Euston for display on his terminal. On arriving at Paris Gare du Nord, their destination, the tickets and passenger list are handed over to go onto that system and terminal, and the group can leave the station to go watch the match they came to see. Maybe Liverpool's playing Bayern Munich at the Paris Saint-Germain Stadium. For the US Air equivalent, Brownsville, Texas is the southernmost point in the lower 48 while LaGuardia or maybe Newark, New Jersey and, and JFK stand in for Houston and St Pancras. I expect everyone here has experienced the same sort of processes on any multi-stage railway journey at interchange rail stations or on multi-leg flights at hub airports. It takes time to get from one rail platform or airport gate to another to say nothing about layover time waiting for connections, which in BES terms is equivalent to message packets stacked in a processing queue. So now it's time to look at the lower map. First thing to notice is the tracks are all green. That's because this is real IP to the edge. What I've called the Internet Universal Protocol still consists of two divisions, a header and content but now the from and to addresses in the header are standard IPv6 and the content is formatted to a standard length and that length is something which would have to be decided. As well as that the content is itself subdivided into two sections a code page header determining what discipline the data belongs to HVAC, electrical, lighting, security or whatever and as previously within that discipline the type and value of the data. The intent is that the code pages will replace all of the various special purpose protocols which now exist. 
At the start of their journey, the group now get one ticket which will take them the whole way to Paris. And their journey will be much more comfortable because instead of swapping between a lot of different rail carriages, they will board a large shipping container which has been fitted with seats, windows and all mod cons. And at each interchange, they'll just sit still and enjoy the view as the container is lifted from one flat wagon and set down on another on the next system. They'll only have to get up again when they reach their destination. Now, isn't that a lot simpler? In IoT terms, the IUP packet is filled by a smart device at Blino Festiniog, only having its destination read at each router before being switched to the next level of the route. There's no need for middleware because the BCMS and CCMS operator workstations will read IUP directly. And while in analog terms, the rail line from Blinau Festinio to Port Mother could be replaced by a sky crane chopper, in IoT terms, the equivalent would be a wireless network. Oddly, it happened that I mentioned this webinar to Dr. Steve Methley, a member of IEEE, when we were discussing a STEM education event, and he was kind enough to point me to a Wikipedia article on an initiative called Six Low Pan. It concerns the implementation of and security in fringe networks consisting of small format smart devices powered by harvesting ambient RF power. He was concerned that the additional processing involved in using IPv6 right to the edge would prevent this. But in the article, I found this statement related to addressing. The management of addresses for devices that can communicate across the two dissimilar domains of IPv6 and IEEE 802.15.4, that's a special protocol developed for these networks, is cumbersome if not exhaustingly complex. To my mind, the solution is simple. Use real IP to the edge and limit device processing by just looking at or loading only that final section of the IPv6 address which applies to the low pan. Okay, so now let's see what IUP can do for the IoT. Let's move to the next slide, please, James. And again because we've gone past the spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. On the left, you can see how the processing is split up in a regular bus system. That takes up the whole circle. On the right-hand side is IUP operations. And if you look at the spreadsheet that follows this diagram, in the handout, you will see that there are a whole load of sections in, in the IOP side of the chart which are labeled NOP, computer terms for no operations. So that white set, half sector of the right-hand pie chart represents all those no operations, which means that all of this swapping of protocols in present BS systems is wasting half of the power. If you change to real IP to the edge, 
you can save all that time. Can we click to the next slide, please, James? Okay, the slide just says, there you go. The pie chart is so clear that real IP to the edge saves more than 50% of the operations. It's not a more, lot more, it's about 52, 53%. Okay, but in the media recently, we've had problems. There's been reports about hackers performing exploits by accessing the web via low-level IoT devices. Just these simple little devices right on the edge. So there's evidently a real need for end-to-end -end encryption. But encryption is processing. And the more encryption decryption stages there are in your network, the bigger the saving can be made by changing to real IP to the edge. Can you click on again, please, James? Okay, so this is the difference that encryption makes. There's some encryption in IUP you have to have. You have to have the initial encryption right at the beginning, but because you're not swapping protocols, that encryption stays all the way to the BCMS or the CCMS. So it's only a little slice of the total operations. But in the BAS, encryption and decryption have to take place at each change of protocol. And that takes a big chunk out of, the, out of the efficiency of the BAS. The result is that if you have to have encryption, you save even more, almost 60%, by using IUP and real IP to the edge. Next slide, please, James. Okay, that's it. I thank you all for listening, if you haven't switched off already. <laughs> and I sincerely hope you've had some questions. So now I'll hand it over to James, who I'm hoping is going to filter them for me. Absolutely. So, as Tony said, if you guys have got anything you want to ask him, about this very interesting uh, presentation, then uh, please do type them in now. Uh, I've got a, I've got a few. You'll be pleased to hear, Tony. So go back to um, and okay. I think, and I think your analogy of the uh, you know railway as a network, you know, works very well. Uh, and I, and I totally see what you're saying, um, but. Let's allow me to play, you know, devil's advocate for a while. I mean, a lot of people talk about as the, you know, the IoT. One of the things that has stimulated it, of course, is is improvement in uh, sensing capability and also cheaper, more cheaper sensors, so we can deploy more of them. Uh, but also processing at the edge. So, you know, is it really? A lot of the time, maybe we don't need to be sending all of this information, you know, all the way back to, in your analogy, uh, Gardenor. We can actually do a lot of that processing okay. on the edge. 
So, so in That's a way, I'm true. I'm, so you I think can. my overall question is, you know, if if you design the system differently, um, is that going to not solve the problem, but essentially put a bandaid on it? Or, or also, if you um, uh, if if you didn't um, uh, you know have to transmit as much data, or, or if or if the system of uh, uh, because things are just getting faster all the time, we're actually you know there's more technology to send packets quicker. Um, does that negate uh, or, or just make or just make the problem not um, not as much so that we don't have to worry about it. Geez, James, you've got a, a talent <laughs> for sticking so many things into one question. Yes, yeah, so I, I will try to deal. I will try to segregate it out and deal with it. Okay. First off, this presentation doesn't deal with where your actual uh, network management. Um, device control software will be located. At the moment, if we look at the top map, the Blinow Festiniog, that's a, an expansion module. It doesn't have any uh, intelligence at all. It's simply there to interface analog and binary points to Port Maddock, which is the field controller, and all of the programming for what to do, schedules and actions and limits and such like, that's in the field controller there. Higher level programming is at the branch controller at Shrewsbury or at the main controller in Wolverhampton. The rest of the network is simply transportation. All right? When you change to IoT, you're, instead of having a dumb sensor, tem dumb temperature sensor connected to a bus module, you have a smart sensor which has its own processing capability. And the equivalent of that in present terms is uh, maybe a KNX Connect module or an, uh, an echelon module in Longworks. All right? It can do its own local pro a bit of its own local processing, and it sends data over a bus. Now, the idea of these uh, low-pan networks is that maybe you will have one device which is a little bit smarter than the others, and it controls its local group. For example, if you had a big meeting room, you might have an individual smart sensor on each lighting fixture, but they would be under the control of a master fixture somewhere at one end of the room, which could take account of the fact that maybe you put a partition across and split the split a lecture room into two different seminars. This is fringe control. Okay. In the IoT scenario, instead of having branch and main controllers, Shrewsbury and Wolverhampton, they're just routers. And the control would be a PC or a laptop or even your smartphone 
but is somehow connected to that router. So really, you can control anything from anywhere. When uh, oh, a few years ago, I had a demonstration from quite a small German company, and the guy sat at his desk there, pulled out his laptop, and proceeded to check whether his the office in his home office somewhere in Germany, whether the window was open or not, and got the guy on the desk to check that when he moved made the operation to open, close it, it was right. Ah. Sorry, guy. that's my damn phone. I'll leave it. I'm, I can't do anything about that. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's a pain. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, carry on. All right. I didn't put my hand over the microphone fast enough. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so, that's it. The processing can be distributed. In working in the IoT, the IO, in order to be work at all, it will have to be organized on military lines. That is, each, at each stage, there is a level of control, and there's what's called need to know. In other words, the upper echelons don't need to know the day-to-day -day operation of the local, of the local camp. Right, yeah. But if the, if, if the top end decide they want to know some knowledge, then the local commander will look through and get his people to feed in information, and then he will send a concentrated report, one of, one of General Eisenhower's one pages, up through the network. This is the way that IoT traffic will be reduced. You have to do it that way. You can't have everything going. Right. But this because is, at the uh, moment, I was just going to say this is a kind of a workaround, right? This is a this is putting a, a band aid on the on the problem, a, a sticking plaster. What that, that we're what is what is putting that we're only um, that we're fixing this this problem of not having IP to the edge by just uh, deciding not to send as much data up to uh, the cloud or in. Or, or, or wherever it may be, or the, the well, main controller. It, 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 it isn't a case of, of decision, James. Okay. At the moment, processors are local, um, local field controllers, branch controllers, and main controllers all have very limited processing power. All right? The amount of programming they can do is limited. So if you run out of programming on the branch controller, that programming then has to reside up at the main controller or even right up at the uh, BCMS. Right. When we change to IoT, that situation changes completely because then you can put as big a PC as you like onto a router anywhere and it can control anything but the closer it is to what it's controlling the less traffic there's going to be on the higher levels of the network right is that clear enough for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've, got a, we've got a question here, so let me put this to you. Uh, can you please address how to quash the fears of the BAS industry losing control of their pri proprietary or semi-proprietary locks on systems? This seems to me to be a primary uh, issue facing IoT deployment. I think that's an excellent point. Right. Okay. This is this is uh, you and I have discussed this before, James. But yeah. uh, for the benefit of the people who are listening, yes, it is frightening. Yes, the IoT is going to be a revolution. I hope I've shown everybody this afternoon just how big a difference a single protocol can make. It can double the capacity of what you've already got. Yeah. And it can fly even farther. But I'm sorry, all the suppliers are going to have, sooner or later, and preferably sooner, they're going to have to go to one protocol. But what they should do is then go and look at all the add-on values. If you buy a car nowadays, you're not buying a car, you're buying everything that is added value onto it. You've got a heater, you've got hi-fi sound, you've got GPS, you've got dinky flashing lights on the rear when you stop. All sorts of bells and whistles and it's a question of what's the, what's the fashion in bells and whistles this year? And that's, that is the sort of market that the BAS suppliers are going to have to attack. Right, because the underlying, also, the underlying technology should be the same. And what they're selling is whatever that, you can add on to that. No, that, 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 no just a minute. Okay. We, we have to talk different, different things here. I'm talking about a common data protocol, but the BAS suppliers developed not only data protocols, but means of transmission. So there are different means of transmission for different circumstances. You need a different same set of transmission when you're working in a nice, cool, air-conditioned office or when you're in the middle of, of a nice steel rolling mill where you've got interference coming from heavy motors here, there and everywhere. There all these various idiosyncratic situations have resulted in the development of a lot of different systems. And what I'm saying is there's no reason why the, the BS suppliers shouldn't keep those different systems, but what they will have to do is make the changes to their control hardware and software so that they can handle the universal protocol packets. Right. The other thing that they can do is that they can look at the front end. I use Microsoft Word and I've used my PowerPoint to produce this presentation. And frankly, I can't stand Microsoft's ribbon. I was far happier 
with the 97 to 2003 drop-down menus. It, everything was easier to find. It needed less clicks. It was a much nicer user interface. I'm using a 3D CAD package at the moment that's been developed by people who were brought up on new math. And they use completely different terminology from all of the CAD packages that I've used that have been developed by people in the, in the design business and by engineers. So it's a question of suiting the interface to the market. I've got no problem at all with the user interfaces being as proprietary as anybody likes and customers will choose what they think suits them and let's give them a choice by all means but when it comes to handling data IOT is going to have so many devices you have to cut down the amount of messaging that takes place and you have to cut down the handling that each message takes that's the only way that IOT is going to fly mm. yeah I think you definitely uh, put that uh, message across. There's a, there's a comment here, and I'll read it, and it'll be interesting to see uh, to get some feedback from you on it as well. Uh, we can hence imagine, then, that traditional BMS with network controllers, field controllers, etc., will somehow, uh, in inverted commas, vanish. Uh, but more precisely, it might remain in large buildings, uh, but being fully IP-based. Uh, but then main change will be on medium-sized buildings where there is no BMS today, uh, but tomorrow there will. Now, that's an interesting point because I guess what we've been talking about here are perhaps larger systems. Um, and as you pointed out earlier in your yeah. presentation that, um, you know, these when things were more expensive, they only went into larger buildings. It seems to me now that, that we're yeah. looking at putting more control into medium-sized buildings. Do we have an opportunity then to put IP to the edge in those types of buildings without any worry about yeah, legacy we, systems? Yeah, you can. And this is what the modern wireless systems, the uh, Zigbee and N-Ocean are uh, aimed at doing. You have these, these devices they're even powered by a little five-year lithium battery cell that you just stick on the wall and they communicate to, a, to your home control unit. But they should all use the same common protocol. And then you can change, exchange data between any device at any level. That's the only thing that I have been pushing for for a long time. The the devices are, are coming cheap. Yes, there are. there's a whole load of building automation systems that are already existing with field controllers and, and uh, branch controllers and main controllers. The problem is going to... Well, there is a problem at the moment anyway because the technology changes from year to year. The technical staff on the ground of each BMS supplier change from year to year. So it doesn't take many years for the people on the ground not to know 
anything about the system that is installed. If you go to a big building, when it was handed over, it will have had a load of nice hard copy manuals, and probably about 50% or more of them will have walked with somebody who was uh, interested in what they contained, and nobody's kept any control over them. That's one advantage of the cloud. If all your manuals are in the cloud, people can't walk off with them, but they can get them at any time from anywhere as long as they got an authorized password. Yeah, and you mentioned the cloud. I know in our previous conversations, you talked about the black yeah. cloud, the black cloud, right? In inverted commas. Oh, yeah. And I know, and I know okay. we mentioned right. about, um, you know, the overhead for encryption and obviously the need not to send too much yeah. to the cloud. But I'd be interesting to, uh, for you to elaborate on this kind of point you make about cloud computing. Okay. The whole point of this presentation is in showing the gain of efficiency in the network that you get by changing to a single protocol instead of having lots of protocols. And lots of protocols means lots of unnecessary processing. And when you multiply that through all of the existing BAS systems there are all over this globe, you can understand why. A few years ago, a couple of German guys calculated that the internet uses more power than all the airline flights in the world put together. Now that's getting worse. I recently read something that said that the world is going to run out of power by about 2040. And most of that is down to what I call the black cloud. That is transferring data unnecessarily all through the internet. What you have to understand is that Processing is the killer. Even when you do simple routing at an internet node, the router has to read the incoming package header to find out where it's supposed to go to. Most of the time, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. It's interested where it's got to go to because then it has to switch it to whichever route is the best one that's going to have, is the, at the moment has that at that instant, which might be a microsecond, has less traffic and then send it off. That's processing and that happens at every internet node. You want a killer example of the black cloud? Uh, Microsoft help. Uh, anybody who's listening, have you ever tried finding things in the help in the online help using your language it's difficult because most of the time the help is written in programmers languages not in written in users language that means you have to spend time hunting for it and nine times out of ten you'll find it where you least expect it and in find in hunting for it you'll probably learn a lot more than you wanted to know in the first place. This is the problem with the black cloud because you might be here in UK 
if you go to Microsoft Help, that help might be coming from somewhere in Washington State, halfway across the world. And all the packets, and more important, all the formatting packets which display that information prettily on your web browser have to get transmitted halfway across the world. That eats power. That's what I worry about. It's one of the reasons why I support Rocky Mountain Institute. Yeah, excellent point. Well, we're coming towards the end now of the presentation webinar. So if you do have any pressing questions for Tony, then we need to uh, put them in now, if that's okay. Um, one of the questions earlier, Tony, was about proprietary networks, and obviously we've mentioned that. And and you know that 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 ultimately is in 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 a lot of the building stock we have already. That's what we're dealing with. You know, legacy yeah. systems. There's nothing wrong with that, and it's just something that we have to that you know is part of the landscape. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned before um, about uh, this sort of cheating on capacity in open. Protocols. Oh yeah. Okay. Now that I don't know how widespread that is in the industry, but it happened to me. Um, one particular job I was working on, where the representative said, "We're using it was BACnet uh, open protocol, but our system, if you use our equipment, we can get more." capacity you can connect more devices to the bus and I said well that doesn't sound right to me do you how do you get more devices but oh we get it on I said I think that what you must be doing is send adding a flag to the packets to say hey I'm a supplier a packet you've got to give me priority uh, and he said, no, no, no. I said, you go back and ask your people, because I can't see any other way that it's going to work to get you more capacity if you're using open backnet. And a few weeks later, he came back into my office, and he sat down, and he had to explain to me what was going on. If you delve into the company's manual, you found that the capacity of all company A equipment was so many devices, but if you had even one standard device using standard backnet attached to it, the capacity dropped by about 30%. And the reason was that company A's devices used a special compressed form of backnet so that they could get more packets on a data bus. But if you had to go to standard BACnet with longer packets, they wouldn't all fit. Now that would be a killer on a building automation system which was designed for company, a, company A's equipment. Because if you, somebody down the line started adding regular equipment, the network 
would rapidly get overloaded and not perform. This is cheating. Mm. If you like, it's like you build a parking garage and you design it for minis. All right? And then somebody says, oh, I've got a Cadillac Eldorado on a part there. These slots aren't big enough. So you have to redesign the car park, which is a fixed size, to fit Cadillac Eldorados. And what happens? Capacity drops. This is it. This is another analogy. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Well, I guess my final question would be, you know, and it, and it, it was great, and I think you've really um, uh, demonstrated this uh, about how we can be more efficient by using one protocol. Um, so, I mean, in the four minutes we've got left, I mean, what do you think, I mean, what are the steps that we can take to get there? Um, what do you see as uh, the sort of barriers that we can overcome and, and, uh, as an industry? Well, the biggest barrier is getting people to understand what I've been trying to put over this afternoon. Just how much a difference change into a single protocol would make. If people can understand that, the next stage is getting them all to agree on the actual content part of a data packet because I've specified and I firmly believe that the header, the addressing bit, should be IPv6. It's already internationally agreed, so that's what we should use. Mm. The size of the the size of the content packet, that is something which will have to be negotiated. And to my mind, apart from the new code page segment to allow for all the different areas of activity will have to be pretty short and the shorter the better if we're going to go to the very small uh, things like Fitbits and such like that you on um, body temperature sensors and such like yeah that go on the little on the local wireless networks yeah I mean because Really, uh, as you point out, there's uh, a lot more devices that people are planning to put on these networks. So uh, ultimately, we're going to have to be much more efficient about the way that we uh, that we manage this, net, you know, the network and the IoT. Well, Tony, uh, we're yeah, coming to the end now. Let, let me, yeah, just a second. Just let me remind people, I've been talking only about BAS going over the Internet. I'm not talking about media, voice, voice over IP, or anything like that. That's a completely different ball game. Yeah, right. Yeah, and also, uh, yeah, it's even more data to consider. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for for taking the time. Uh, and I actually have a few things to say. Um, I'm with this has been recorded, and we're going to put it up on uh, the our website. Uh, the audio recording, yeah. and I will make sure that we put both the uh, the handout and the slides uh, on the same page, so you'll be able to download those as well while you're listening to uh, to the recording. Yeah, uh, and all the seat remains. Thanks to today. you and Memorial Tridium. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, thanks to Tridium for sponsoring it, and uh, and to Tony for uh, for taking the time. Really appreciate it.
So yeah, goodbye and thanks again, Tony. Okay, and bye everybody.